Oh, man. We're live. We're live. Two years in the making. I finally decided that, you know what? Bit the if, bullet. If we're going to have some, if we're going to have a remote guest, let's break the internet and see if we can't uh, go live too. So speaking yeah. of a remote guest, we have Brie Demoline. That is, she's over to uh, my right, she's Caroline's over, yeah. left. Um, but so you will guys kind of see us looking around all over the place today. But yep. uh, uh, for those that are unaware, uh, Brie is a student at Michigan State. And I'll let her introduce herself here in a little bit. We actually have people that are watching currently too, which is super stressful for me because I've never done this before. Hello, people <laughs> of the internet. What are you doing? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, uh, just real quick uh, housekeeping notes uh, since we are doing this and I would love to see this kind of grow is uh, subscribe because you'll get notifications when we do this again and this is going to start to be a thing a little bit more. So uh, if you uh, are so uh, inclined uh, hit that subscribe button hit the notification button all that sort of stuff but uh, with that I would like to wield the floor to Brie to introduce herself uh, to uh, kind of where you came from where you are and what you do now and what you're looking to do and kind of why it is that we decided to have you on here uh, for a podcast Awesome. Thank you. I'm super stoked to be the first live guest going in here. Um, like Carl, like you said, um, I'm Bree. I'm from Michigan State University. I'm a second-year veterinary student currently. I am from originally from Ohio, um, the cornfields, deep in the corn stalks of northwest Ohio, unfortunately. But I hiked my way up to Michigan for undergrad and ended up at Michigan State, which was my dream school for veterinary school, so I'm super stoked to be there. At Michigan State, I'm super involved in everything, including Veterinary Business Management Association, which is VBMA for all of our fellow veterinary students out there and for the veterinary organization. Um, but I am the president for that one and have been pretty involved for the last two years here. And that's how I kind of met um, Pa in general, met Carlo, Katie, um, Ben, all those guys, met them my first year at school in Inslink. got really like, I need to know these people. I need to know where they're at, what they're doing, and I need to know more. <laughs> So, yeah, so we recently had a meeting for BBMA talking about everything that, I mean, we have meetings with Paul all the time, but we really, really like them, and we kind of got more involved in what are the things that we need as students moving forward, and I kind of made a comment, I make lots of comments about this, but my, uh, my top fear for veterinary school and getting out is where I'm going to end up, and I have goals of practice ownership, and I'm, I'm fearful that I'm not going to find that dream school. I'm super involved with BBMA and all the clubs. I feel like I've gotten a lot of knowledge on how and what the clinic I'm looking for, but I'm worried that it's just not there when I'm going out for it. So that's how we kind of got here. The infamous unicorn practice. Yeah. It's yeah. used yes, quite frequently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when you had brought that up, Brie, um, we, I was, uh, Carlo was speaking, but I was here obviously and helping out and all that sort of stuff. And uh, actually Carlo and I like had one of those like telepathic thoughts together where it's like, oh, well, that's Caroline's story. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, clearly we have to have her on here because um, Caroline, your, uh, your journey, although it has been, um, direct in field uh, mm -hmm. since like you know you kind of like eighth grade the middle school zone when I was like oh yeah I really want to be a vet right um, the path has not necessarily been straight either uh, like Correct. your journey of getting to here at Paw and maybe we don't know what it's going to be in the future but at least getting to this point has been kind of weave you know weaving through a few different things I mean yeah you can say I've been dicking around <laughs> that's fine <laughs> I can but you've also you've been experimenting and that was 
was part of the reason why mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to do the grit stuff with you as well. Yeah. Because there's, there's when, when you work through that interest phase, right. work, working through that the practice and like trying to actually feel things out and like how do you do that well, um, you did it on the fly, yep. kind of on accident. And there was definitely some learning along the way that happened. Um, but that was actually... Um, you know, it, it, like one of the big reasons why is you know, knowing what the book was and knowing that you and I probably share a little bit of that, like learning the hard way type yeah. thing. Um, when the question was posed, like, will I ever actually find the dream practice that I either want to work at uh -huh. or potentially own? Uh, I was like, I was well, like Carol's got to be on here. Oof. <laughs> that was my first response was oof. Yeah, that's a lot. So oh. um, I guess to start, uh, because not everybody that um, listens to the podcast, that sort of stuff, is familiar with your story. Yeah. Like, take us through kind of that, like, I graduated vet school. Yep. Because um, I think everyone, at least um, at the, in terms of this question, is going to get to that point, right? Right. Um, so how how was your journey from that, that graduation day to the point of kind of getting here so we have a summary of what we're working with? Yeah. Um, I tried like even going into vet school, I tried to have kind of a di diverse experience list because, um, it makes you a better candidate, you know, kind of, they say to have multiple areas of, of experience and that kind of thing. And I had done my undergrad degree was in animal science. So I had an interest in animal agriculture mm -hmm. and I had gone into vet school with the thought that I most likely was going to do something with large animals. Um, I tried to keep an open mind as much as possible because they always tell you like through all of vet school, like, Oh, you're going to come in and you're going to totally change your mind. So don't even get stuck. <laughs> like it's yeah. the whole thing. Um, I actually did not change my mind that much as initially, maybe I'm just a slow learner. Um, cause I did get there eventually. <laughs> Hence here we are. Um, but, uh, when I graduated, I was struggling with where to go, like okay. physically, geographically, mentally, all of those things. Um, I ended up, so they tell you to kind of use your fourth year as an opportunity to explore that and like do externships in places where you potentially would want to take jobs or live or whatever, and just explore the industry and the area a little bit more. So it's hard to do, like, first of all, that's a big ask when you're trying to also like do all your externships and like study for boards and pass boards and do all that crap. So yeah, thanks vet school. <laughs> um, but that I did try to kind of do that to an extent. Um, and I had gone, I was thinking I wanted to stay in the Midwest. And then I went to a Midwestern mixed animal practice actually here in Wisconsin and was like terror, like appalled. Oh, okay. <laughs> appalled. Yeah. And my, cause it was like the polar opposite of like the ivory tower of vet school. I was like, what is this real life BS? Mm -hmm. Um, and my professor of vet, at vet school or like my mentor in the dairy science program, Dr. Gordon, um, I had like sat down with him and I was like, Hey, this is my thoughts coming off of this externship. Like, mm -hmm. what do I do? What do I like? Am I, you know, freaking out or whatever? And he was like, I think with where you are mentally and kind of what your aspirations are career wise, I think going to a Western Mm -hmm. large dairy practice is mm -hmm. going to be more your cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the first job that I took was out in California, um, working on like, you know, five to 10,000 cow dairies, 
um, doing a lot of milk quality work. And I actually loved the job. Like what I did was, was very cool. And I kind of ended up, um, leaving that job and coming back to the Midwest more for personal reasons. And just like, I didn't have much family and friends and things out there and it was a very isolating job. And, um, I just, it it wasn't a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I ended up making the decision to come back to the Midwest. Um, and again, you start the hunt of looking for the next practice and trying to check off all those boxes. And unfortunately job hunting to some extent is a little bit like any other thing where you, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Like knowing what you want. It's sort of, I don't know why I always compare everything to dating. Hi, Riolo. Um, (laughs) As he just entered the room. Um, I kind of compared job hunting to dating because like you, the more people that you date, the more you get an idea of like what you're looking for, what you don't like, who you are as a person. You learn a lot about yourself and job hunting is kind of similar that way. Like you come out of school and like you, you think you have the list you know, like I want a man who's funny and good looking and like going to have a good job and whatever. And then you like realize that that's not realistic and that you just need to find somebody that you click with. Yeah. Kind of similar with jobs I too. Mean, I'm funny and good looking. So <laughs> we're talking about, we were joking yesterday, Adonis over here. Um, I said that I had to put makeup on because I was going to look horrible this morning after yes. working so late last night. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, so as I got like job search after job search, like going through, um, you know, at each job that I was at, it got to a point in our relationship where I was like, I am now investing time into this, but no longer see a future for myself at this job. Mm -hmm. Like there's something about it that like either the way the business is managed or like, the people or myself and like how it's affecting like my mental health. Cause that was kind of the, the final jump that I made from large animal to small animal was like, I can't be on call anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to go work at a practice where I can leave at the end of the day mm-hmm. and turn my phone off and just be yeah, not at just work. Be. Yeah. Just be. Yeah. Um, and so like I said, each job search, you know, kind of narrowing down what you want. But I think the hardest thing for me was, letting go of the fact that like, I don't know, people will probably argue with me about this, but I don't think there is a unicorn practice. I don't think it exists. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah. Listen, (laughs) so listen, you can't just show up and expect everything to be perfect. It is a two way street. You have to, you have to, right. It's, it's the, the question is, and this is actually going to lead into what I was hoping to ask Bree. Okay. Is, what actually defines what it is yeah. that's important to your workplace because no workplace is going to have everything perfect all the time. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to be absolute. Don't even start, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> We're always working on something. Listen, right? Linda. It's always yeah. a process. <laughs> um, but I think for us, the thing that puts you into the mindset of, no, this is actually really good, is we're always working on it. There's not a hesitation to, uh, or or a limitation on on wanting to solve the problem. We know what the problem is and we want to solve it rather than just avoiding it or- It's the uh, desire. Exactly, exactly. Go back to Brie, go back to Brie. Yeah, so Brie, um, that does lead me to that question of, you know, Mm -hmm. you're you're ending your second year, I believe, of vet school and then now getting- Uh, near clinical is going to be actually here in person here shortly as well. Um, 
as it stands right now, what is important to you in terms of variables in looking at uh, you know a potential employer or you, as you know, I know that you have aspirations of purchasing a practice as well. How are you defining that currently? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think I keep reading the word mentorship as a buzzword now, and I think people scoff at it at some point now, but I mean, really mentorship is going to be, especially for me, importantly, because I want to practice own within the first five years out of practice, is that I have to get the clinical skills, be comfortable as a doctor first. For so me, well, some of the biggest things that I'm looking for in a practice is um, the mentorship, and it doesn't just mean, hi, I'm your mentor, I'm going to see you once or twice. It means actual hands-on, being with me, teaching me how to do things, and it kind of goes with having a good connection with that mentor, too, which you might be asking a lot for. It just depends on where you go. Um, also, workplace culture, too, and a, and a practice who generally cares about putting the effort back into their workers. I've been at a lot of clinics, unfortunately, that have been good and bad, mm-hmm. uh, but as a practice that wants to invest back in their, their technical staff and in the support staff and in the CSRs, like everyone as a whole working as a team for one main goal, and then to improve and keep building the practice for the main purpose of working for the patient that we serve. So that's what I'm really looking for is the workplace culture, communication is a really big important thing for me. I, I think that for me, I've always said in, in my personal life and for veterinary medicine, I think communication can fix so many things and open so many doors in every avenue. So, I mean, if you just, if you just talk and be already able to talk and think about it, you can fix a lot of things in a practice one way or another. So Yeah, I mean, speaking from Those clinical experience, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's actually where a lot of complaints come from is just that it's miscommunication. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I was actually going to say um, how, knowing that that's what you're looking for, do you, how are you defining those metrics out? Like, do you have, is it gut feeling? Do you have specific things that you're looking for within, you know, evaluating those uh, types of variables, anything like that? A little bit, yeah. So I recently um, just left a practice, actually, that I have been at for a couple months now. And with that, I was kind of feeling it out for a future job, too. And the things that I was looking for with them is how their um, management deals with conflict resolution, how they deal with um, day-to-day things, what happens when there's a mistake made. Uh, whether that's, is it bereavement, is it, like, let's communicate, let's fix this and work for it. But where they put the focus on, if there's a, there's a mistake made, and um, just kind of how everyone works together. It is kind of a gut feeling, too. But, I mean, things change all the time. And our first instinct isn't always going to be the, the actual what its reality is. But it's kind of a mixture of all those things right now. Um, obviously, I'm going to get better at that the more practice that I go to. And, um, like Carolyn said, just going to different parts and feeling it out, like dating. Yeah. So right now, for me, it's just feeling it out with the gut feeling and also watching and just paying attention to the, how – the team members interact with another, what happens when there's going to take med and how management works with them. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, I, I mean, it's hard to say specifically, like, what you're looking for without actually, like, getting out there, right? Because I think yeah. for you, Carlo, yeah. that was, you know, the first five years was, yeah. like, right. not, not, like, obviously there's uh, observing the variables, but there was probably a big part of it that was even just defining them out. Like, how was that first? Because you, your, um, I, I, you know, how, how do I word this the right way? Um, the the point of the mentorship and education program with PAW is to accelerate that time frame, right? So, like, yours was a little bit longer. Now, how are you, what, what was it that um, you're trying to shorten in, in terms of understanding those variables? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, I was <laughs> writing a note to Caroline there, but yeah. I see that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think... 
you know, just uh, even taking communication, I guess, is one part of that. Um, is, I mean, looking at all the different ways that we have the opportunity to fail. You know, I think the first five years for me, um, you know, I, I even want to kind of roll it back into talking about a little bit on how I objectively go through what I refer to as kind of the review process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when we start to look at how do you know if you found the right clinic and so on and so forth. I, I think you're exactly right. I think the desire to grow, communicate, engage, those types of things. But I think what we're going to run into is that it's not there 100% in every practice. I think yeah. there's going to be some things that we like and some things that we don't like. Um, and when, we, you know, Katie and I sort of made the decision we were going to start to transition into ownership, um, you know, there was a delay there. So, I mean, I had already been working in the practice for, I don't know, six years, seven years at that point. Mm-hmm. And once I kind of that switch flipped where it's like, wow, I could actually, we could actually probably go through and make a difference here and in the community and so on and so forth. Um, I kind of make a joke is that everyone started applying for their jobs. They just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So it was more of kind of, you know, a little behind the scenes, just how are we actually communicating and how are we actually going through conflict resolution? How are we actually approaching case management? What is our actual process? And of course, that's what then birthed our industry overview is it was a little bit more than just like us and our isolated island and I think that's when we start to look at how do we how have we gone through the last five years um, that's actually when you and I started working together we had that this kind of buzz is this a problem at PAW or is this a problem yeah. in the industry because yep. then it was a matter of like oh okay well what can and this is of course um, driving away from the victim dynamic a victim assumes they are powerless mm-hmm. so it was more of what what can we actually control as a group of creators and I think that's what then sort of led forward into kind of these little micro transactions, these little things on the day to day. I think our biggest barrier overall over the last five years and in the future is actually how do you manage habitual behavior? So it's more of if there's things that are sort of ingrained in one, who we are as people or personalities, but two, I've been doing this job this way for the last 15 to 25 years. So how do you start to adjust some of that? So that's when when we kind of look at the last five years, it's been a very active approach, a very active process to try to really break those things down into very small consumable variables. Um, but even uh, to kind of make a joke about your dating analogy, it uh, is. no, it's it. Not, you have no idea how actually accurate. The oh, I do because you told me about how you use the review process yes. for dating. Yes, too. yes, <laughs> yes. And I, I, I don't, I don't mean to bring this up, but it does drive oh, a point because it has worked, and I'm, it's a very intentional. <laughs> yes, I am bringing it up. Um, but I, I had, you know, um, by the time I had gotten to, you know, uh, kind of college years, um, as I had determined or was able to identify that there are certain anniversaries in dating you go through and you can't go through an anniversary and then like hack it at the end. It can have a six month anniversary and then break up six months in one day. Like that's kind of a dick move. So, you know, it was, it was more of like, okay, fine. There's one month anniversaries, there's six month anniversaries and there's one year anniversaries. So I would put my relationships up for review at three weeks, five months and 11 months. And it was a very objective process of being like, what do I like and what don't don't yeah. I like? And I mean, it might sound corny, but it's like even to the extent of writing those things down. Yeah. Because writing those things down, do what? Generate an issues list. What can you do with an issues list? You can yeah. collaborate on an outcome, on a desired outcome. So we actually then kind of took that idea, and that is ultimately what birthed our education system. Yeah. We have tiers one, two, three, four, whereas uh, it's a little bit different for students, but for employees, you know, tier one. Um, is really the first two weeks. Tier two is the first three months. And then uh, tier three is every six months thereafter where we just keep 
having these touch points yeah. of what's good, what's not, what can we collaborate on, what can we improve upon, what issues lists are we generating, and that's ultimately when you start to then say, well, what is what is, and how do I find, how do I know if this is the practice that I've been in, it's the same thing. You have to be objective about what is my interval of time. Bree, I, I think when we had a meeting here about a month and a half ago, I was mm-hmm. in thoroughly impressed with your time frame. One year, three year, five year, 10 years. I'm like, well, I don't know what she needs me for. But you know, the, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but the takeaway is exactly that is that if you're dealing with um, a very progressive time frame, and I would say this, you know, you can waste my money, but don't waste my time. Mm-hmm. So it's if we're looking at saying that time is the most valuable asset that we have to sell, it's just exactly that is you have to go into the practice with a set of desires what is it that I want short term what is it that I want long term and don't actually allow the day to day to uh, force you or accidentally force you to lose sight of that long-term goal because I've been in practice for 15 years and I remember sitting in lecture hall. Like, I mean, that's how fast that time goes. Mm -hmm. So to be exclusively objective on what's the desire, is the desire location, is the desire clientele, is the desire, you know, practice style, practice size. You really have to then go in with those ideas, but it's just like, you know, uh, uh, you write your plans in sand and your goals in stone. So you may find one year out, five years out, eight years out, 10 years out, is that some of those variables actually change. Yeah, and that's okay. Um, But then it's a matter of just continuing to put yourself up for review, put the practice up for review, put the employees up for review, six months, six months, six months, six months, six months. And you come into those interviews with your first job, second job, third job, on being very forthcoming with what those objectives are. And again, we know that jobs are everywhere. I mean, you as a veterinarian can get a job anywhere. There's there's practices for sale everywhere. They might not even know they're for sale, but they're absolutely for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming into that and saying, this is what my objectives are. Mm-hmm. They're, oh, yeah, of course you can fulfill those objectives here. Okay, well, don't worry. Right. I'm going to be keeping an eye on it every six months. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and that's that's kind of, you know, like I said, we make the joke about dating, but it's exactly that is yeah. you, you know, don't sign non-competes. Make sure that if you're in a geographic location that you want, that you're not getting boxed out by, you know, sort of the, what are the uh, non-competes or uh uh, non-interference is a new a oh. new special oh. word they like to have is non-interference. Yeah, get rid of that. Sure, you know. So, but again, uh, it's just it, you have to figure out what that is. If you don't necessarily carry your geographic location, then whatever non-competes are a non-thing or whatever. I'll yeah. just move a city just over. Move, yeah. yeah. Right. So anyway, I know that was kind of a long little uh, sort of monologue, right. but I mean that's kind of the idea is you may not know right away, and that's yeah. perfectly <laughs> fine. There's nothing wrong with that. What I think is interesting about what you're saying is you're you're essentially trying to quantify what we've been talking about with the whole grit Mm -hmm. process and being willing to try new things Mm -hmm. but simultaneously getting to a point where you're like this is no longer interesting or valuable to me and i think you know we've talked about the different struggles with that it's it's like knowing what was the time of investment? Was it time of time of investment or what was the uh, return return? No, yeah, not, re- well, not there's return. return on investment, but what, well, we uh, time sunk in or oh, what's sunk the, costs? sunk costs. Yeah. That was yep. another thing that like I have kind of struggled with. And, um, I, we didn't bring that up so much with the, um, in the grit podcast yeah. that we did, but, 
Um, that's an interesting concept too, because I think a lot of people get hung up on mm-hmm. sunk costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I put so much effort and time into this practice, and I, I, re- they get hung up on the dream, mm-hmm. and you, you do have to get to a point of kind of like strictly evaluating and trying to quantify yeah. as much as possible. And that's honestly what I had to do with my my last practice that I was at because I had gotten so close, like they were so close to what my dream practice could have been. And it came down to that I had to be realistic about, um, you know, that, that pros and cons list and what was going to be ideal for mm-hmm. for my situation and and moving forward and what like would help me grow as an individual yeah well and so, that's that's an important variable though is that it, like your pros cons list it doesn't have to exclusively be professional that that's one of the big takeaways yeah. here is that it's okay when you're doing this assessment of your employer to potential future practice, it's both sides. You have to look at what's the impact on my personal life, what's the impact on my professional life. Because we had actually, when we were in the break room, we were talking about just being on edge, being on call. Yeah. You know, where it's just like, I am a completely different human being when I'm on call versus not. It's like, well, you, that needs to be a variable that's discussed. It's not just like, oh, on call. It's like, no, this is substantially impacting. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's okay. And that's, I just want to interject that way. It's okay to have both, you know, for those individuals who wish to start families or not, you know, to have spouses or not, you know, to what is my spouse's uh, uh, field of uh, a career field, you know, is that going to be realistic for a location? And um, that's actually something that actually I, I, I try to have and give a little bit of merit to um, is I feel that with the veterinary professional as a whole, and I, I don't know if this is gender specific or not, but I feel like the veterinary professional as a whole, we are willing to take the back seat on our professional career um, for our significant others. Um, and that's one where it's like, well, I, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, I read forums and such. Well, these are the only jobs I have because my husband's job is here and it's like yeah. you mean to tell me they can't get a job five states away you know right. so we just need to really stand up for ourselves in our lives as veterinary professionals and know that it's okay to sort of dig the heels on in on ourselves mm-hmm. that's that's just as important um that was a lot of stuff yeah. <laughs> we have Brie yeah. so um I have I have stuff that I would want to ask but Brie I'll give you the floor uh to kind of ask whatever questions that you have because this is kind of your time yeah yeah so, so in doing that I know um Carolyn kind of talked about doing your using your externships so what if I can't use my like what if I can't use the externships because I'm doing all these different things and one like, like I have my externship list and it's 20 like pages yeah. long right now <laughs> I can't possibly get all those practices in that time that I want to be at so I'm, I guess I'm just worried that if I get out and practice and I spend the first five years that are supposed to be my year one, three, and five-year goals trying to get to practice ownership is like in the time frame that I want to to conquer the world, that I'm, I'm going to be spending so much time jumping, I don't want to say jumping practices, but evaluating, yeah. realizing that it's not for me, and then moving on, and then getting this rut of I can't find it or... Oh, Oh, girl, I feel you because actually I can't remember if I told. Yes. No, because I I think I don't know if I told Carlo this, but I literally told myself or convinced myself mentally that I had like a two year curse that I could never make it in a practice beyond two years. And that like, I just was never going to be happy. I'm never going to be satisfied. (laughs) Sorry, Hamilton reference. Anyway, um, but I think you have to kind of become okay with it. And it all ties back into being okay with failure and, 
you know, grit and being willing to try new things, but also being willing to walk away when you realize that it's, it's not beneficial to you and not paying off anymore. And, and I think trying to, cause again, I feel you it's trying to get over the anxiety and the fear component of it and just embracing the fall, yeah, like embracing yeah. the journey and knowing that like, if you keep a clear image in your mind of where you want to go and what you want to do, I think you will achieve that. And, you know, however many practices it takes, however many, you know, stepping stones you need to go through, um, just staying true to yourself and staying true to like what you want to do is ultimately the thing, because that's the thing that I struggle with too, is, is, sunk costs Mm -hmm. and like being able to pull the plug and walk away when I feel like it's not paying off anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and having a clear idea of what do I want and, and, and that kind of thing. So you wanted to say, well, yeah, no, uh, (laughs) let me, uh, uh, Brie, uh, what, uh, how old are you going to be when you graduate? 25. Perfect. Okay. So, okay. No, no, no. That That's great. So he's not disparaging your age. Yeah. I'm not disparaging your age. No, at all. Yeah. It's a purely objective question. Um, I'm sure you've heard my podcast before on learning, earning and yearning. Okay. So, uh, I know I, like I said, I, I thoroughly, uh, respect your plan on one, three, five, 10 year plan. Um, but understand that if you look graduating at 25, you have until you're 50 to figure it out. Because if you break it out into three stages, it's like, you know, I mean, that's a long time. So you have 25 solid years to get it together. Now, I'm only going to put this into perspective. Look at what we did in five. Right. So even if it's, and, and that's not a matter of look at what we did in five. And now, Brie, guess what? You need to go ahead and invent all right. that stuff yourself. And you need to figure all these things out. So there is a little bit of uh, slush in there just in sort of what we are bringing to the industry with our education portal, with a lot of these other things. Um, and I'm not just saying that we're, you know, necessarily a solution to everything, which we kind of are. But anyway, so I'm just saying that, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, plug. Um, is that, you know, so what I'm just trying to establish is like, it's okay to have those feelings because yeah what you're actually asking the questions there is a difference between completely being blindsided these things when you turn 50 yeah yeah so it's the fact that you have it right on in front of you and that is essentially a, a goal it's like all right well yeah this is what i want to do but it's being okay with failure being yeah. and it's really not even necessarily a failure because failure dictates that you enter into victimhood is that it's really right. a fall right. so it's i'm using it, failure in the paw yeah. definition <laughs> yeah. of the word failure yes. yeah because yeah. 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 there is a negative connotation to it but yeah. we should really mm-hmm. learn to kind of strip that negative yeah. connotation away yeah yeah and that's where I, ben had actually come up with the fall tolerance yeah. which is kind of yeah. how we think about it more of if a plan doesn't work um, all you're doing is falling back and you make a choice to either become a victim or become a creator and it's just that same loop same loop same loop same loop um, going on like the three month or six month anniversary and just six months six months six months six months six yeah. months it forces you to then undergo what we call or what Ben calls the war of attrition yep. you know where it's like it's okay I don't care if you use the word jump practice jump 30 practices who cares <laughs> you know because again it's a matter of like okay 
six months, six months, six months, six months, six months, six months. Is this really what I want? Is this what's happening? Yeah. Is this okay? Is it what's the, what's the failures? What's the failures? Is it me? Is it them? Is it them? Is it the industry? You know, is it the location? So it's you just start to continue to ask those questions. I would say just to jump off of yeah. some of the grit stuff that's before we get too far off of this is um, what you're saying is be as proactive as possible. Absolutely. That's the whole point of the plan. Yeah. The whole point. It's the, the, the time frame element doesn't dictate the variables that are important, but it gives you, it mandates that you're proactive on that review yeah. process. Absolutely. Um, and I think what I, what I want to get at is with grit, it's interest, practice, purpose, and hope. Um, what I think happens to a lot of people is they forget to be deliberate about the practice part. We're mm-hmm. all interested. We're all like, right. We're, especially if we survive vet school, mm-hmm. clearly we're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're into practice and now it's like, well, what works? What doesn't work? You know, we're getting through fall tolerance. We're collaborating. We're being accountable. All of the stuff that we just talked about. But when we're not proactive, what happens is we lose hope. Hope is the thing that colors all of those things. And if you're not deliberate about being in front of the triage of life, yeah. you're going to lose that hope. And then it's really hard to get it back yeah. and maintain interest and still believe that that purpose is really where it is that you're supposed to be. So just to kind of put those ideas on this whole thing, yeah. I'm like that's really, you're just trying to be as productive as you can and not lose hope. Yeah. And there were two points I wanted to make. And one was about the disparagement in our industry of jumping practices. And then the other one I'm trying to remember now, but, but basically I did want to address because you will run into that. Like you will have, it seems to be, and I don't want to stereotype, but it tends to be older practitioners who've been at the same practice Mm -hmm. for longer periods of time. But there is a certain disparagement of young veterinarians for, you know, constantly jumping practices and like, you know, oh, the young, the new grads, like they never stay, they're here for a year and then they leave. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think moving beyond that and realizing that basically like it doesn't matter what they think because there are going to be people who say that about you and focusing on like again what are your what's best for for you and um you know best for i mean i guess to some extent the industry and and cutting the cutting the dead fat when you know you get to to that part and being able to cut ties and walk away um is really important and i'm gonna try to remember what. well the disparage yeah yeah, think about that Uh, the disparagement is never uh from the perspective of creators Right. Just, right. just so we're all aware. Yeah. Is that, you know, we, we have to look at the industry as a whole. And if you are going into maybe an aged or more traditional practice, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of make the joke. It's like on Ghostbusters when they slam the thing, we got one. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, that's, that's the idea when it comes to new graduates. It's yeah. like, oh, we finally got one. Well, there's so much, like you said, hope. Hope yeah. has been restored to these, yeah. these aging practitioners where it's like, well, this yeah. is going to be the person that buys the practice. And, you know, how many new graduates have they had for a year? And now they're starting to lose hope because they're like, who am I going to sell this to? Yeah. And then that's, you know, our stat, 30, uh, 390 of the 450 practices we surveyed in Wisconsin are willing to sell. And it's like, you know, that is kind of what's on their mind constantly and repeatedly. So every time they lose one, they start to enter more and more and more into victimhood. But then that's just for me being a creator and being like, well, what are you actually selling? How are you growth? Yeah. What yeah. is your communication? What's, you know, like Bree had said, what's conflict resolution? You know, what are sort of these things? Um, but again, the disparity 
disparagement, and that's why yeah, like I, said, I, I don't care wanna, what people think. It's because right. it, it, creators will never disparage you. Yeah, I just want to uh, address that oh, because yeah, like sure. it's easy to bypass it, but as a new grad, like yeah. that is something that you will face, and it is something that oh, people yeah. will will say mm-hmm. about you. And I think you just have to accept it and realize that like it's it's not. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely already heard it. Like working in the working in the field for the last few years, I've heard it already too. Like, oh, new grads don't want to work, or they don't want to. They want to. They want to work forty hours, and they want yeah. their weekends off and things like that. And it's like, is that is that so bad? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is okay to want work life balance? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I guess the whole time crunch to me is really hard because I. I want to change, like, I want to change the world. I want to practice on as soon as possible and be that practice that people want to work at that's all working together and changing the industry that continues to work for and all the things that I haven't seen in my current work practice um, on all the things that I learn every step of the way to combine it and be that practice for people. So I want to do that as soon as yeah. possible, but I know I have to pay my dues where they are the first two years. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Three triggers right there. Immediately. Yes. Well, what, what I was going to say is like, so we, you can address the, the pay my dues uh, thing. No, I'll yeah. let you cool off for a second. But, uh, <laughs> but what I was going to say is that um, I, uh, despite the experiences that I've had with previous practices and some of them not great, like really like badly ended relationships with previous practices and that kind of thing. Um, I do not regret. I do not have a single regret about any practice that I have worked at any experience that I've had, any people that I've met along the way, because all of those interactions and experience and everything have brought me to where I am today. And I, I, you know, it's, it's hard because you do have to kind of come to terms with all of that, but like, and it, and it's scary. I think that's the hardest part is just addressing like the anxiety and the scare factor of it. But like I said, as much as you can embrace that fall, because you know, the, there's no, there is no biological clock. It's, it's like it, it's all in your head. And so, um, you know, trying to overcome that fear and realize that each of those experiences are going to help you build and grow as a person. And you'll take those on to the next practices when you ultimately do find what works best for you, whether it be a unicorn practice or whatever you can find that's the <laughs> next best thing. Cause I don't think they exist. <laughs> I I can't let the pay your dues thing go. I know. Uh, because uh, actually, I think that we recently talked about it, or maybe it was during... Um, it was the tech one. Was it the tech one? Yeah, it was the... Where yeah. it, or it, it was... Here's, actually, I don't think it was. Wait, either way, it was you make it through vet school, you make it through technician mm-hmm. school, nursing program, whatever. Yeah. Dues are paid. Yes. You're done. Yeah. Now, now, like... We said it twice. We definitely said it, the did, VBMA did, thing did and, and the tech one as well. But yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so like I'm... going to clarify here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Three triggers right away. Demeline's like, no, you guys are talking. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. I guess, like, I guess for me, Peyton, is that more of like... Um, when I become a practice owner, I have to like at least know what I'm doing as a doctor a little bit and be more confident as a doctor. I don't know if that makes it work. Okay, that's, better. that's better. Yes, that's yeah. better. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is better. But I will actually, I'll, I'll only take that. It, of course, it may have been our misunderstanding, but I will take that just one step on, on what Ben was saying, just because I know there's other people that are sort of watching this because they yeah. may actually think about paid dues as a as a as the the way that we all got triggered by. Um, <laughs> 
but the you know the the payment of one's dues is you're exactly right is uh, as soon as we come out of veterinary school and as far as I'm concerned as soon as you get into veterinary school or veterinary nursing school you've already made it mm-hmm. so as far as I'm concerned that you are never ever at a disadvantage within this industry that you have to prove your worth the worth has been proven. You have made it through a professional curriculum. Um, and I think that's why we're so adamant about individual empowerment and sort of individuality, uh, because that is actually what carries us through the remainder of our professional careers, who we are as people. And one of my concerns with paying one's dues is it's like, well, you there's some type of arbitrary set of experiences that all of us have to undergo before we are worthy. And it's like, no, not at all. We can use those like Caroline said we can use those experiences to change our perspective to you know uh, uh, grab knowledge or become more wise and you know I think that's important from like you said uh, Demeline experience standpoint you're just going to become a better practitioner Uh, there's just some things you're going to be naive about there's Mm -hmm. just things we learn along the way Um, but yeah we should never ever 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 feel that we are uh, in some way shape or form indebted to any level of tradition which unfortunately is what has been the driving force for uh, the corporatization of the industry is that and that's why part of our industry overview part of our um, lack of self-worth is debt to income ratio is then we are now under the assumption that we are at uh, the mercy of our debt so it's like oh well that becomes really flashy when it's like hey let's let's go work at this corporate environment because they have this incentive or they have you know this other item because it's going to be really flashy but again what are we selling are we losing hope are we losing some of these other things that we are passionate about so kind of embracing the idea that we are worthy to be the world changers, that mm-hmm. we are worthy to make a substantial difference both locally and within the industry as a whole. We're already there. We are worthy to do that because yeah. we are intelligent humans that are doing what? We're serving a purpose. There is nothing greater than having a common cause that we can all fight for. Yeah. You are already worthy by serving the same purpose. So I know that's not me. Now what you've been saying, uh, Brie, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, if there's no, anyone no, no, who... Yeah, yeah, yes. It's interesting interesting because I was literally just watching a video clip last night about and someone was talking about being overwhelmed by trying to achieve that they this was more from like a social justice standpoint but just like uh, trying to come to terms with the fact of like how far that this particular person wants to go and like take things and and she was talking about how she has kind of taken solace in the fact that she looks at it as a relay race all of us in the veterinary industry were all running this relay race and all we as paw can do is take the baton from previous generations which is the whole standing on the shoulders of giants thing that you've talked about take the baton run as fast as we can to pass the baton then to the next person you know the breeze of the world pass the baton to the next person so then they hopefully can get there get a step further a step faster um so we don't no one person has to save the world or change the world it's the accumulation of all of us running this relay race and trying to get to 
yeah. as far and as fast as we can. Well, and that's sort of taken Simon Sinek's idea yeah. of the infinite game. Mm-hmm. It's actually taking that a step further. So it's not necessarily that there is one business that we are going to push um, you know, as being the front runner in the industry. I mean, we talk about right. paw health as being more of a movement than it is a corporate structure. Mm-hmm. You know, we're building a network of like-minded veterinarians who are here to serve the same purpose. You're exactly right. What happens when two becomes four and four becomes 16? Right. You know, it's the idea that if we are, and like you said, that relay race, to me, the infinite game is the movement of purpose. Right. So if we can take that and move forward with it as a whole and as a collective, not like you said, not one person is actually in charge of everything. Not yeah. one person is in charge of every business. Not one corporate structure does have, you know, 50 different units, 50 different practices, a hundred different practices. And it all comes down to their, you know, corporate management. Yeah. Uh-uh. That yeah. ain't this industry. Yeah. So what's the quote from V for Vendetta where he says, I am not a man. I am an idea. Yes. And ideas are, uh, are forever. Are, yeah. It's, it's essentially ideas don't die. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or, or if you're, if you if you're a baseball fan, it's heroes, oh. uh, uh, heroes are, uh, what is it? Heroes are remembered, but legends never die. Yes. That's, yes, that's where yeah. I yeah. ask you. Cause Babe Ruth is, you yeah, know, he's of course. Great. Sports. There. Yes. Sports. 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 Ben. Sports. Uh, but, but yeah, so that you're exactly right. And again, I know, uh, Bree certainly, you know, we can take it from there, but, yeah. um, you know, but yes, the, the, it's the idea that we're moving. It's that look, Hey, we ran as hard as we possibly could in yep. five years. And it shows, yeah. you know, it, 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 every single day is a struggle. I ain't going to lie. There's, there are constant conflicts, conflict, constant issues in that regard. But, um, to show what we have done to mm-hmm. be like, you take one part of this and you're going to be successful. You yeah. take three parts of this, you're going to be wildly successful. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the big, one of the big things for you in continuing as you know, if the 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 vocal leader essentially yeah. or visionary of yeah. PAW has been um, actually when you and I first met and started working together, it was all right, major, huge, massive dreams. I think Bree, you're kind of in the same uh, in that same light where it's like I want to absolutely change mm-hmm. the world, and mm-hmm. I don't want that to ever go away. And I think one of the biggest things for you in working through that process was becoming effectively patient. Yeah. Because when we first started, it was like, you're going to bite off way too mm-hmm. much. You're going to try and take on too many things. Cause what was, well, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it was like, well, what do we do first? Yes. All of it. Yes. All of it. <laughs> we we, we yes. can't do that. Well, the famed meeting where I was forced to leave the room. I, yes, yes. That one. Yes. yes. So, but the, but even though it was like, okay, we have to just put some of this on paper. We have to make this thing. It was for the intention of becoming effectively patient. It's yeah. not that we're going to try and go slow. It's essentially yeah. how fast can we go without falling over? Yeah. Um, and I think when you're looking at those first few years out of school, uh, you know, it, especially like let's say you're walking to a new practice that you didn't go to a clinical uh, rotation at. It's mm-hmm. just like, I think this is the right one. Yeah. It's not about making those enormous major changes. I mean, actually, this, the thing that made me think about it was you bring up the idea of social justice. It's mm-hmm. like sometimes you just try to take on too many things. You can't change the whole system in one fell swoop. You got to take those microtransactions and make things a little bit better every time. Um, and, and that's like, oddly enough, which is a weird co- a correlation with Jordan Peterson's clean your room. Right. Like get your yeah. own shit straight first. You gotta. And then and then help one person make one small change in what they're doing or just in the process protocol clarify 
how it is yeah. you do something in the clinic and then go from there. Little steps, little steps. And then also during that time, you have your consistent evaluation process of is this the right place? Because now you're testing how it is that they're communicating, how they're collaborating, how they're receiving these new ideas, that sort of stuff. But you're being deliberate about it in a way where it's not just going to be like, well, we've done it this way every time for the last 30 years. And it's this major process. And sometimes if you bite off more than you can chew, there's more of a reaction to do that. So just yeah. be, try to be a little bit strategic about the first few things that you want to really adjust. Free, 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 free. Yeah. I do have a question. So I know we were talking about kind of like using the dating process when we first get out and taking the stigma away from like you can practice jump. It's okay to practice jump. And if that's what you need to keep moving forward, then you can do that. How long do you, um, like, I, don't, I don't know, how long yeah. do you wait out of practice? I mean, that may be individual, like based on what's happening. And what you see, but how long Feelings. is a sufficient time to know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is going to, me and real are going to approach this very differently because his is the whole quantitative and mine is the qualitative. Um, and yeah, like I think you do get to a, again, qualitative. I think you do get to a point where you start to see diminishing returns. Like you're getting, you're not getting as much out of the practice as you're putting into it. And like me and Ben have talked about, I struggle with getting to the point of being okay with walking away from that situation. I have to like emotionally, mentally prepare myself to cut ties and do the Irish goodbye. Um, but I think, you know, Carlo's approach, Oh, the Irish goodbye is the peace out. Yeah. You just like when you ghost things, Yeah, you just ghost it and leave. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I think Riolo's a, approach is a good one where it like it, every kind of six months to a year, stepping back and evaluating where am I at? Am I achieving, you know, what I want to, what I want to be achieving? What are my issues? Are those issues being addressed? Mm-hmm. How is the clinic handling those things? Are they actually, you know, being active? Cause that was, that was the roadblocks that I started running into at like my most recent practice is just. I felt like I kept running into the wall Mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting anywhere. And I was like, I am going to run myself ragged. Mm -hmm. Like there is potential here and I care about a lot of these people and I am still like getting a lot out of this practice, but I will burn myself out and am not going to be able to achieve. And then there's just the roadblock of ownership was removed from me. So like my ability to actually influence what was going on in the practice because we were bought out by corporate was like a huge immediate roadblock. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, And we kind of had conversations along the way as you were having a real low help. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it was, you know, I don't think that when you were kind of going through each of those things with actually both of the practices uh, that you had been at, um, is that you're right. It does help having a Riolo just because again, a part of it is like, you know, for me, I'm not in it you know, so kind of having some litmus test. Yeah, yes, yes. And that it doesn't necessarily have to be a Riolo. It can absolutely be a significant other. Mm-hmm. I, I knew you when you were in veterinary school. I knew you when you were an associate vet. I knew you when you were an owner. And it's like, you know, uh, you were this person then and now you're so much more on edge. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can have people in your lives kind of be like, this is totally obviously not working for you. Yeah. But there is uh, now I, I will say this. A huge part of what I do is actually based on gut. 
Yeah. And uh, a lot of it's based on feel. I try to be as objective as possible. Um, but the other part is there comes a point when you start to, if you look at our star chart, star chart in confidence is actually in part described as a willingness to commit. Mm-hmm. So it's when you commit to an idea or you have that, I think I have it listed in there as conviction. Mm-hmm. So a part of conviction is like, um, I, I just, I don't know that this practice is working for me. You know what? I'm going to quit. Just conviction. That's going to happen. I'm out of here and I'm not going to look back. It's not a matter of what it could be or what it was going right. to be or how it could be. So that's why when I start talking about, you know, uh, a breed answer question, what's an appropriate time frame? A huge part of that is actually gut. Mm-hmm. It's like it just kind of doesn't feel right. And that's why I kind of said feelings. Yeah. Um, a lot yeah. of what I do is on feelings. Actually, I, I uh, uh, Dr. Dane, when we had you know, uh, built the building, we had started, we were in here the first couple months or whatever. He had uh, actually given me more credit than I was due. He was like, you know, I bet you got this down and this calculated and this calculated and, you know, this and, and this revenue and like per square foot and all these different things. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, uh, but part of, part of my confidence in the process was it's like, no, we need a new building. And it's like, well, I could, you know, because my feeling is here's what has happened in two years. My feeling is that in the next three years, it's going to be freaking bonkers, you know? So a part of that kind of goes the same way as that. And that's why actually I have conviction written into confidence Mm -hmm. is because conviction doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Yeah. Conviction (laughs) is that you're willing to commit. And this is what is the best decision for me right now based on the variables that I have. Um, And then for me, there is, uh, I think you should learn from the past, but I don't necessarily beat myself up because of the past. Yeah. Mistakes. I should have done this. I should have done that. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I should have. But you're going to know that different for next time. You're going to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's why, again, I I actually, I, I don't think that we have exclusively a different perspective. Yeah, actually you're right. I just have they my are very similar. feelings in like a you little have different f- words. Like two dram bottle. It's so small. <laughs> They're packed in, but it's like it's like a neutron star. All that gravity yeah. is packed into a very small space. But I think what that helps you do because I was thinking about this as you were talking. I think one of the issues that I have that I struggle with is the longer that I'm in a practice that I start to like lose that return on investment. I start my guts telling me like, Hey, Hey, I don't think we're very happy here. (laughs) Um, but it's so quiet and I don't have immediately that conviction. I have to like work myself up to it. And partly what it is and partly why that litmus test is helpful is because I like, I start to gaslight myself of, am I the problem? Like, I think I talked to you about this the one time I was saying that I was concerned that I had a failure mindset and that everything, the two year, the two year curse rule. I was like, it's me, I'm broken. And I finally talked to you and you were like, you are the epitome of a growth mindset in a failure environment. And so having that litmus test, having somebody who can tell you like, no, it's not you, it's them actually. Um, and you know, 
like I said, for me, it was finally sitting down and physically writing out my pros and cons <laughs> it's list. It's awkward, isn't it? Like it's, it is, yeah. it's super weird, but yeah. it forces you to like really sit down and think about those things. And so you really could be doing that like every kind of six to 12 months and helping to kind of quantify because your feelings do kind of get in the way. And as, like I said, you start to lose hope, you start to lose mm-hmm. conviction, you start to lose confidence and the, the voice gets quieter. quieter. <laughs> it's like, we're fine. We're actually fine. It's, like it's fine and everything is fine and so listening to that voice and sitting down to write down what is the voice telling me and what do i where do i need to go from here i think that would be very helpful i think um just to glean some insight off of that red book that's right there one of the first sentences that's in the word it's the good to great okay one of the first sentences in that book is the mortal enemy of great is good Mm-hmm. So if you, I, I mean, the, the, to me, the litmus test was, um, is, are you telling yourself that this is good enough? Mm-hmm. Because if you're telling yourself that it's good enough, you're just trying to cozy into where you are. And some people are okay with that. I think we've right. talked about that yeah. a yeah. lot. Yeah, that's But funny. when you're talking about earth moving ideas, right? Right. When you hear yourself say, this is good enough, it's probably not. It's probably going to be the thing that's like there's there you have now accepted the innate barriers that exist within it. And you've actually you're probably never going to get past them because you've just accepted the fact that they exist and they're not ever going to move. But it's good enough. For, For me, the good enough was why is everyone else able to do this and tolerate this? And I'm not, why am I the one that's unhappy? Why am I the one that's always leaving? Cause you're not what's a sheep. broken. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but that's the thing is I was like, what's broken about me, yeah. but it turns, it's like, you're not broken. You just have, you still have that hope and you still have that passion and you have to lean into that. And just basically it comes down to being, being self-aware and knowing what you want and being able to go for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I just literally went through all of that exactly what you said, Carol, and I just love to practice actually for the first time in my life um, on the note that I am no longer happy. And I went through all of that telling yep. myself, well, maybe it's me. Like, yep. maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's me and then making up like scapegoating and putting like, maybe it's because this or maybe I can just hang on a little bit longer and it'll get better. It'll just keep getting better. And then it just doesn't. So I I know that's something I want to like keep in my mind too when I move forward, especially if I'm going to be evaluating a practice every step of the way saying, are you, are you lying to yourself about this? Right. Are you actually taking on? But I just want to ask is when you leave as a doctor, do you think that, um, I mean, with your experiences, if you leave pretty quickly, like six months or a year after and you move on to another practice, is that, I don't want to say look poorly or how does that reflect when you, when you go to a new practice? I've had some practices be reluctant about hiring. I mean, obviously not him. He's the one who yeah. you walk in and he's like, if you're not happy, leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> not wrong. Um, but I, I mean, I have had that, like my last clinic that I worked at, they were reluctant to hire me because mm-hmm. I didn't have any geographical ties to yeah. the area. And they risk. were like, yeah, exactly. It is a flight risk. And mm-hmm. I, again, I don't know that there's anything that you can do about those things, except be aware of them and then, and be upfront about it. I mean, yeah. really, cause if they're, if they don't want to hire you because they're worried you're a flight risk, yeah. then that's kind of, a then red they're afraid of that's flying. a red flag. Right. Yeah. 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 Why would yeah. I ever leave? Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Like they want to pull the wool over your eyes and be like, how else can we trap you here? Right. 
So, so traditionally, Brie, yes, you are right in that um, if, if you're looking at it from like, a, especially from a, a large organization, um, HR organizations, and actually now there's software that exists, um, it's, it's pretty much become standard protocol for um, businesses that are above 500 people, which is kind of sad. Um, they will actually screen out resumes that have people that are flight risk. So if you ever fill out a digital resume, mm. um, even though they have you send in your PDF copy, they're like, oh, actually transcribe all of that into uh, this template form that we made. That's so that they can just weed out the shit that they don't want. And most of the time it's, oh, you've only been at your last job for two years and that last one you were at for nine months and the one before that was three years and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's because they're never actually going to look at your resume, which is a major problem of corporatization. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So when in considering the, the way that at least I understand your path and kind of what you're hoping to do, who gives a shit? That's yeah. not, I don't I mean right. I I don't think that's where you're headed. Uh, if you're if you're of the mindset yeah. of wanting to own a practice and you apply to be an associate vet at a uh, a traditional model small animal practice whatever, um, number one they're probably going to be really appreciative of the mm -hmm. help right away. Yeah. And then you walk into that interview and say, "Here's my plan," and you have it written down, and these are the steps that I need to have done and completed and in writing yeah. by end of year one, yeah. end of year three, end of year five, and by this time I want to own half this practice. Then right. who gives a shit? They if should embrace your, that. Right. Yeah. Right. Hundred uh, percent of the practice, but anyway. So well, right, <laughs> I, just as an example. Uh, but, yes, yes. Uh, but no, no, no. So and actually, uh, uh, to kind of uh, uh, nitpick what Ben said, at least slightly, when quote unquote, when you apply for the job, it's always my perspective. Yeah. When you are interviewing them yeah. for right. the yeah. job, yeah. that's you know, for me, it, 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 and again, I, 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 I'm just nitpicking what you're saying. Mm -hmm. but, no, it's um, it's important though because because yeah. you have to walk into that room with that mindset. Yeah. yeah. Like yes, there is a quote unquote <laughs> application process, but yeah. once you're in that room yeah. now you're interviewing them yeah absolutely and that's and actually truthfully uh brie i mean that's one of the main reasons why we're pushing so hard into the house system is because i want veterinary professionals both nurses and dvm students to be hearing this talk path from mm -hmm. the first day they get into veterinary school so that we come out of professional school understanding that we are a significant asset to the practice I want people to go into interviews to be able to identify if they are going into a growth environment or a failure environment. Yeah. That should just be second nature. And yeah. that's where, you know, uh, Caroline kind of made the joke, it's good to have a Riolo. That's what I think I have become very fast at identifying mm -hmm. is like, oh, well, it's a failure environment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to answer your question, um, rather than kind of being lofty about it, um, is that individuals who are creators will never care how many jobs you have. Creators are going to hear your message. They're going right. to hear your purpose and they're going to see what hope you are bringing. Mm -hmm. That's what creators identify. Have 30 jobs, who gives a shit? But you find that one, they're just like, you know what? We're actually looking for people who want to change the industry, who yeah. want to have this, who want to have that. It's like, ah. So I just had to interview the last 30 ones to find you. Yeah. That's, that's where people of growth mindset, it simply doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I've even thrown wild ideas out there to, you know, veterinary students over the years is it's like, how about you just have four jobs your first year out? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, right. Like, I mean, what's, what's wrong with just, you know, cause there's i uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, 
these old guys need a day off, you know, right. so there, uh, there is, there is significant merit in sure. Open up your own LLC, grab your own, uh, liability insurance and just work the relief circuit for two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is going to be an active process where you're going to say, all right, here's the 20 practices in this geographic location. You guys yeah. looking for someone to work every Wednesday? You know, and you can actually rather than now, again, there's some variability in there, but I can tell you relief vets make more, um, yeah. you know, is it's like, yeah, it's not a bad way if you're willing to kind of jump on uh, the uncertainty of working right. relief. Um, and you'll get, you know, you get tired with it for a while, but I know a few vets here in the area who work relief and they love it. You know, they love yeah. it. And, and they have with time. I mean, I've known them now for about 10 years and it was, they had, you know, 30 practices, which broke down to 10 practices. And now they're pretty much just working at the two that they like, yeah. you know? So that is another way that you can actually approach these uh, veterinary clinics to basically just do a huge survey. Um, and it's kind of a non-commitment, you know? Um, but that's, anyway, it's a wild idea. But uh, again, for me, looking at where I would be Coming out, uh, for what I know now, coming if I were to come out of veterinary school now, it would be probably one of the strongest considerations I would have rather than 24-hour medicine. Yeah. 24-hour medicine well, is an adrenaline junkie job, but like it's, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, but the, but the, the truth the is, yeah, it lean well, into the interview. Yeah. What I was going to say too, is that the, uh, podcast that you did with Katie about mentorship, Mm -hmm. I think that's a very important component too, because I mean, basically what that whole podcast boils down to is communication and being able to effectively communicate to your employers. This is what I want. What are you looking for? Mm -hmm. And then holding them accountable to those things. Mm -hmm. And so if you can walk into a job, well, if you can walk into a job that you're interviewing, or yes, that you're, you're interviewing, interviewing <laughs> um, and tell them, this is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I think that that immediately sets up basically guidelines and boundaries as far as how you communicate, like how, I mean, it can only be beneficial to you as far as, like I said, determining exactly how that relationship and interaction is going to develop over time. Yeah, it's the so. reason why we changed uh, unity as a core value over to collaboration. Yeah. So you had said, you know, it, it gives you a metric to hold the employer accountable. Mm-hmm. Will you hold, or even a mentor, you hold them accountable through collaboration. Yeah. And you're starting, you're starting that degree of collaboration day one, day zero, actually. Right. Because it's part of the interview process that you're like, the collaboration, communication, accountability, core values, purpose, future, all those things. And it's it's and that's why, like I said, a big part of why we're trying to push all of this into the house system is the, the words, the way we talk, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about the industry, the way we think about the hope we have to make a substantial difference locally. And like I said, two becomes four, four becomes 16. Yeah you're going to go into an interview talking that way. They're going to be like, who is this person? <laughs> who the F is this guy? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the same it's joke. It's the same thing. It's every time I have every anything. Every time. Yeah, they're like, who's this guy? Yeah, it's every time. But but then but then it becomes um, you immediately lay it out on the table. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they are measuring it up to what you lay out. Or they're terrified and they walk out of the room. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And either way, you win. <laughs> yeah, either way. Right, right, right. Yeah. So when we look for that first, job acknowledging that I, that, like uh, Carolyn said, maybe not finding that uniform practice, your first, the first job that I take after graduation, 
when do I, after interview, if I interview 10 practices and none of them are what exactly that I'm looking for or lacking in multiple areas, how do I decide or do I do four jobs um, all in that first year? How do I decide who's the winner? Who, who do I decide to go with right. if I'm not going to end up being there for more than a year? Well, you got you got two years to figure it out, you know. That's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, um, and that so again, I think that's part of uh, to roll out year one as veterinary professionals. And again, talking about the house system and all these other types of things, is that you know, again, I mean, if if we're talking, cause like I said, I, I really want to be cautious because I think there is a ton of value in being an associate veterinarian. I think there's a ton of value in being an you know employee as, as a veterinary nurse um, to help move the movement so we're all you know pushing the business in the right direction but when we're talking specifically about entrepreneurs it is it is a sort of a different conversation that we're having from the beginning and that's why for me part of it is we you know like you Bree we need entrepreneurs to start to revolutionize these practices so as we have more students coming through the house system through Michigan State hearing these things it's like oh we have a practice here a practice there a practice here a practice there so there's right a, there's, it starts to spread and yeah. infect other clinics and fact yes, yes and other universities and you know those yep. other things so uh, again i just want to be cautious on that uh, we're just kind of talking more from a, an entrepreneur's pr- perspective um but uh, coming out of veterinary school being an entrepreneur um that nights uh, having your work-life balance and night and week nights and weekends thing um lol for about five years mm-hmm. um so why not start to play that game now so veterinary school already tests you in a certain way the didactic um, and then the clinical work and it's like what happens happens if you can kind of tweak yourself just a little bit more what if what if what if i see that i'm gonna you know every monday night i'm gonna do this at this practice and every saturday day i'm gonna do this at this other practice and like you said you were at a clinic i apologize i think you said three months um for the the, the practice you just quit from Bree? Oh, I was there like nine months or oh, so. Nine months. Okay. So yeah. again, just doing what you're doing actually, starting to experience those things while you're in veterinary school so that once the time comes, you've already gone through maybe five to eight practices in your educational career. Yeah. So now in this amount of time, you've already kind of started to do a little bit of scout work. Um, and then once you come out, it's not quite so foreign because again, we're taught, we got podcasts education portal talking to us crazy peoples mm-hmm. you know it's like all these things you start to kind of learn the language and the people and identifying the failure environments and you start to look at this a different way so when you get a school it's not quite so foreign yeah. you're still going to have that perspective of fall or failure when you're like fuck I thought this is the right one and I I'm going to have to leave this job but I thought I had all my stuff together and I thought this is really going to be the one yeah those things can just go with the wind they can just mm-hmm. go right out of your mouth and down the road because it's like mm-hmm. nope conviction because yeah. I'm confident what I have is something to be valued. And that's what we talk about. Uh, at least the uh, we call state of the union address that we had just the other day is that's what I talk about. It's we have the most valuable gem in what it is that we're building. And that, that gem is hope. The mm-hmm. hope is it can and will be different. And we're the ones that are going to do it. Failure is not even an option. Mm-hmm. We are cherishing that, which we have. And that's where sort of that conviction comes from. Don't be afraid coming out if it's the bad one the first year out. Um, There's going to be so many things that are thrown at you, professional, personal, this and that, and parents and grandparents, and someone's sick, and I was going to go here, but I got to move home. There's all these things that are always going to get in your way. Um, But 
use your time now. You got, yeah. you got two years left, you know, first year's got four years left, you know, start to start to just play with that a little bit now while you're in school. Cause it's, it's, it's a total easy thing to walk away from. Yeah. And I think even if you're trying to, cause you kind of phrased it as trying to pick a decent apple, apple out of a batch of like mediocre apples. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I think in that case, I mean, definitely like making pros and cons lists and kind yeah. of trying to narrow things down, yeah. trying to quantify it as much as possible probably would be helpful. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of us go off of gut instinct. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. you get to, I've done this, this thing. I have this theory that about flipping a coin, you can't make a decision about something. So everyone's like, Oh, just flip a coin. You know, when that yeah. coin is spinning in the air, which way you want it to land. Uh, yeah. And if it lands and you're uh, yeah. disappointed, yeah. go with the other option. <laughs> so sometimes Carol, I, I hate to tell you this, but that's genius. It is genius. <laughs> it is genius because you know, the moment that yeah. you've decided. And so I think, go, like I said, even if it's not a perfect fit, if you're like, I have good vibes about this, I would go with that instinct and try to, um, you know, lean into it and see how far it goes and, and, you know, doing those assessments at six months and a year and see how things are going. And do you have the opportunity to influence and change things and grow that practice into a potential unicorn practice? Um, there is a potential there, but I think it ultimately comes down to following your gut and listening to listen to the voices, yeah. um, yeah. and what they're telling you. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that is hard for us. We are Ooh. scientists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, as a whole, we, we want the values. We want the metrics. We want the objectives. Um, but sometimes someone just needs to tell you to take the tumor out. <laughs> it's true. True story. <laughs> last is this night. From yesterday? This is yeah. from last night. Yeah. yeah the, the seven pound tumor. Uh, yes. And, and it's exactly right. I mean, I, and I was, I was kind of making the, the comment last night that every time I come up to a barrier and surgery is a perfect example. We went in with a plan. Mm -hmm. We thought this thing had a splenic tumor. It was going to be a quick slice and dice 45 minutes. I was out of there and it was like, I made, you know, my linear incision. I was like, so what's that? then you know and it, it turned out to be a you know it was a seven pound tumor originating from like the right side of the bladder trigone like why would that be sort there of, kind it, of kind of i think it's a teratoma but anyway like um i didn't know what to really do and then uh, mariah was just like so just take it out right and i was like okay oh, okay all right yeah i'll just take it out then <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like it, yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Overwhelmed. All the thoughts. Brain is like on overdrive. Spinning. Yes. <laughs> just wheels are yes. spinning, and yeah. someone just needs to tell you. Yeah. Just take the tumor out. Yeah. No, and that was that was from my very first job, and that's actually why we talk about empowerment of staff so much. My first job was in a twenty-four hour practice, and I was the only vet. I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have. Well, I had a mentor there during the day. Christy was very, very helpful very early in my career, um, and, and props to her. But at least in the moment at night, it was absolutely the licensed veterinary technicians and support staff that got me through it. That's why, again, for us, we toppled the totem pole. I wouldn't be where I am or who I am if it wasn't for them. Uh, but it's exactly that. It was mm -hmm. the first time I did a GDV and I was just like, I don't think I can do this. And they were like, just save its life. And I was like, oh, okay. All okay. right. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, so sometimes you just need that little push, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Take, take the leap off the cliff. Yes. Yeah. Just, yep. Hit 50% of the rocks before your shoot blows over. <laughs> it's fine. You know, uh, you'll make it. You'll it's make fine. It. I absolutely promise. You have to work really hard to be unsuccessful in this industry. 
<laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm like trying to finish the hardest year of school of my life. I'm like, yep, that'll work. That'll yeah, work. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I don't uh, want to take too much of your time, Bree. Um, and normally we do try to keep this at about an hour, which we're roughly there. But I also don't want to leave this conversation with you having unanswered questions. Yes. Um, and we've gotten really, really lofty and really yeah. direct about some stuff yeah. and all that. So um, in, in, in where we started, right? Like, will I ever find my dream practice? Was there other stuff that was kind of on your mind that you wanted us to kind of go over with that? No, I think, honestly, I think a big part of it was just changing that a little bit from my perspective is that traditional role is that when I find a practice that I go into and I graduate, I'm going to be there for five years and that's it and I just have to stick it through. So a lot of my worry came from if I pick the wrong one, the next five years are going to change my entire and skew my goals and I'm not going to make the things that I need to make. So I think just talking through that about it's okay, you can job, you can practice yeah, on if that's what you need to do to yep. be able to move forward and make your goals happen. So I think just talking to answer a lot of my questions, and even the longer the longer um, answers things help too, but you answer some of my questions in that, yeah. and that's super helpful too because I, I made notes and everything too because I I think I do honestly from this have a better a better perspective about that is that it's okay. If when I go out, I pick, a, I choose the best practice that I can, and if it doesn't work out, that's okay because I'll yeah. still gain some very valuable information and put it into my tool belt for later down the road that I can help. And if I end up job hunting for five years before I decide to pick everything together and make my own practice, then so be it. Um, that'll just have to be the journey. But I do feel a lot about better about that than previously. So the fear. Yeah. It's no longer that I won't find there's, it. There's no such thing as backwards. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I have made some poor, in hindsight, decisions uh, career-wise, mm -hmm. and yet I have zero regrets. Right. There's no such thing as backwards. And that's we, we talked about that before. You know, you talked about how, like, yeah, you go with your gut, but we're also scientists. That's um, mm -hmm. previously on the podcast talked about, like, well, you have to be ready for the negative uh, diagnostic, right? Like oh, if right, you have right, to, right. you have to go in and un like, okay, if we run this blood work and it gives us nothing, like what, do, what does that mean? We still learned something mm -hmm. and you have to, so as much as, you know, when you're working through your veterinary curriculum and getting out into practice and figuring out how to have that talk path with people that have no experience in understanding what those variables mean, you also have to be able to do that to yourself. Like, what does it actually mean when I learned that this is not what I want? Because I've learned something. It's just, I just didn't, you know, we didn't hit the nail on the head, but we still are progressing forward. That's yeah. um, fail forward, I believe, yeah. was fail the first forward. Tuesdays with Caroline that we ever yes, did, too. Probably, yeah. 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 yeah, and actually, I mean, one of the most valuable, and I've learned a lot of valuable things in my career, but I think one of the most, and I think this came up in a podcast before, but we had a... Um, uh, an older veterinarian who she had owned her own practice. She had sold it. It was a mixed animal practice. She was working for us relief after she had transitioned back to the U S. Um, and it was right about the time, uh, it was just before paw had sort of became, we, we didn't buy it yet, but it was still when I was thinking of all these ideas. Um, and the question she had asked me, uh, was how is it that, uh, Katie and I are so competent in our job? We were only out of school five, six years. And this veterinarian, she's like, you're running circles around me. She's like, how is it um, that you've gotten to where you are? And I said, well, when I came out of school, I knew that I was at a disadvantage. I had dues to pay. I know that I was going to work as hard as I could, learn as much as I could, read as many books as I could, teach me myself as many things as I could, absorb as much as I could, because I need to keep 
pace with all of the other veterinarians in the community because they have experience and they are doing this too and they're working as hard as they can for cases and so on and so forth. Um, and then she laughed me out of the room. <laughs> You know, and I was like, why are you laughing? She's like, what do you think we're doing out here? And I was yeah. like, well, all those things that I just said. She was like, no. no. She's like, we're just kind of getting to the end of the week. You know, and I was like, but but what about this? She was just like, oh, she's like, okay, I get it. That's, I understand that's why you have <laughs> excelled. Um, but basically the big takeaway is she's like, nobody's in charge out here. No, nobody, nobody knows what they're doing. We just sort yeah. of, no, I swear to God, they all just sort of started practices yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And uh, it was actually uh, Remington, one of our CSS was watching me do surgery. And she was like, how, this is just, just last night. She was like, how are you going to take the seven pound tumor out? And I was like, I'm just going to take it out. And, I, <laughs> and she was like, that's fascinating. How are you just going to take it out? I was like, well, the fact that we even do surgery is bizarre. Correct. Like right. we, we open things yeah, and close them. And Correct. take parts out. Yeah. Like we <laughs> like to us, it's so second nature that like, yeah. you know, what, 150 years ago, someone was like, I'm just going to do something with this knife and some alcohol, you know? Right. So it's like, you know, it, it, there, there really isn't anyone in charge. And I think, like I said, it's one of the most valuable things that I came to. And that's why, again, my perspective is just really pushing how valuable yeah. the, 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 the shared purpose and, and coming upon and hope passion. and passion. And because yeah. that is something that they don't have. Yes, actually. And to give Brie a vote of confidence after we had the VBMA meeting uh, the other day that I sat in on it's when I texted real low and I was like this is giving me flashbacks to vet school when yeah. I did not care about any of this <gasps> and I only ever wanted to be an associate and not have yeah. to do anything except my job or run a practice and I was like snooze fest yes snooze and real <laughs> was dying laughing i was like that whole group of overachievers yeah like because 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 you're already like light years ahead of me in right. terms of caring about i mean yeah i was looking for a practice that would suit me and give me mentorship and stuff like that but you're already like light years ahead in terms of knowing that you want to own a practice and what culture and core values and like where you're going and striving. Like I was still like, I just want to be a good vet. Yeah. I just want to yeah. know how to do things. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's a hundred percent merit in that. Yes. Like that's the oh, see, yeah. but I'm more of an overachiever from the back of the class who was hung over and slept a lot. Like it's not, <laughs> it's just, there's a difference between being an overachiever and a visionary. Some of us are just late bloomers. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, again, I, I think just to build on that and I know we're kind of wrapping up here pretty yeah. soon, but I mean the, you know, really ultimately the takeaway is, is that we just need like-minded people pushing in the same direction. The leaders mm -hmm. are in the back pushing the hardest. They're not yeah. in the front pulling everyone along. So we need to make sure that we have as many like-minded people around us as possible to make our jobs easier. Yeah. Um, and it's like I said before is that, you know, culture is the pill pocket to process, you know, is that really getting everyone in the same mindset and start to understand like i agree i value a 36 hour work week i value when employees want to work a 36 hour work week but also it's kind of like you guys know that there's a lot more work and there's yeah. a lot more purpose 
And there's a lot more fulfillment. There's a lot more that we could be doing as an industry. And again, it just comes back to that immigrant mentality, the learning, earning, yearning. You know, I'm so passionate about that earning phase of your life, just fucking owning it. And then that way, once you get up to the yearning part of your life, you don't you don't have to have that um, be an earning phase when you're, you know what? I mean, uh, Brie, plan on retiring at 50. That should be your goal. So for us to then say, all right, well, now you got another 25 years to, well, maybe not retire. But again, yeah. it's, you know, right. you need to plan on retiring at 50 so you can die at 75. So it's, it's enough to say, what can we do to maximize that opportunity? And that's something that I really wish that I can instill and sort of give to all of the people who are pushing in the same direction as us, employees and associates and everyone else. It's, you know, can we just completely own this earning phase of our life? And then we actually have built something for our family, financial stability, whatever that is defined for you in your life. That's why, like I said, I value associate to as much as an owner, you know, to whatever it is. We're all pushing in the same direction for purpose, for hope, for fulfillment. Um, and that's, and we're all doing it, of course, through shared well-being. Mm-hmm. There was, it is. That was a lot of stuff, Bree. Yes. We did it. I hope that answered the question of will I ever find my dream practice. Yes. It does. And honestly, I feel a lot better about it. And it is no longer my top fear. I have to yes. find a new top fear. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. All right. Good, good, good. All right. We did Love a thing, it. guys. Yes. Yes. We did. Yes. We, did. Yes. Yeah, we, did. Um, we just have to make a difference with one. Yes. And then yes. It's two and it's four. Yes. And then well, 16. It's infectious. Yes. 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 So, okay. All right. So, so yeah. yeah. I mean, with that, uh, Bree, any final thoughts before Carlo takes us out? We're good. I'll see you guys in a, what, two, three weeks from now? We won't have to worry about Skype issues or stuff like that, which will be great. We can do this again and talk about now what what your newest biggest fear is. Right. Yeah, I'll have to come up with that. I'll work on that. All right. Well, Dr. Carlo, I believe it is your turn to take us out. All right, guys. Thanks for attending today's first official live podcast, and we'll see you next time. 